know, you just can't pull somebody off the street and just say, hey, can you prepare at 18 years old to be falsely accused and labeled something that you're completely not, um, especially a child molester? That right there just holds a depth that I believe that nobody should ever experience that nightmare. It's an incredible honor to serve our community in such a unique way. As we listen and research, as we visit with people representing every type of background you can imagine, as we take in stories, stories of triumph or despair, as we all ride these incredible times together, we recognize that at the end of the day, those committed to doing good want to be able to have honest and balanced conversations that offer real solutions for all. Here's where we come together to do just that. Welcome to The Balanced Voice. I'm your host, Rania Mancarius. Special thanks to our podcast sponsors, Brigitte and Bashar Kalai and Hallie Vanderheider. Welcome to The Balanced Voice. Today, we are thrilled to have Greg and Gabri Kelly. Greg Kelly was a high school football star from Leander, Texas, a small town north of Austin. In 2013, he was on track to start his senior year of fo- senior year of high school, rather, um, as a football star when arrested on and charged with two accounts of super aggravated sexual assault of a child and sentenced to 25 years without parole. He and his now wife, Gabri, are the subjects of a new Showtime five-part docu-series called Outcry. You can follow Greg on Instagram at grkelly2 and Gabri at Kelly. Guys, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's our pleasure. So I, I keep saying it. I'm, tr- I'm literally fighting back tears talking to you. Um, if you haven't watched Showtime's uh, if you haven't watched Outcry on Showtime, please watch it. Uh, we started it one night and literally could not flip the channel. We were so pulled into your story. Um, Greg, you're everything that's good in this world, everything we want our sons to be, and what happened to you just pulled at every possible heartstring. Your story is a, is one of faith, of love, of community support and power, but it's also one of wrongful conviction, of investigations that have gone wrong, um, of victims not really getting the justice that they need, and and you know other things like daycare facilities that aren't even operated appropriately. There's so much in your story. So I, I want to start a little bit at the beginning, and I don't want to spend too much time on this. But tell us, I mean, you you guys grew up like everyday kids in this town outside of Austin, playing sports, doing what you were supposed to be doing. Talk to us a little bit about your lives growing up. Um, yeah. So, you know, Gabriel and I, we kind of almost had, you know, I, I kind of have to say similar lives, but um, a little bit different. But, you know, we grew up in Leander, Texas, which is north of Austin. Um, we both went to Leander High School. Um, Gabriel was a phenomenal dancer. She, her parents worked at the high school. Um, I was just a, I was a student who played football, who was hoping to get a fo- football full ride scholarship that came when I was a sophomore. And um, I committed to go to play for the University of Texas, San Antonio. And, you know, I guess you could just say we're just everyday kids just going to high school. And so when this accusation came out, it completely derailed my life, Gabriel's life, and everybody who loves me and cherishes my, you know, us. It completely derailed us. 
And you were going to UTSA, but Texas State and Rice also offered you a full scholarship, which I think is huge. Um, sure. How did you end up in the situation? I know from watching the docuseries, your parents were ill and um, this woman offered you a place to stay, seeming to be very gracious and loving a loving gesture. Um, tell us about being in the home at that time, in their home at that time. Yeah, so like you said, um, both of my parents were medically ill starting my sophomore year. My dad suffered a pretty severe stroke and my mom um, had multiple brain tumors. Um, they both couldn't take care of me. So at the time there was a football booster, her name was Shalom McCarty. Um, she's the mother of Jonathan McCarty, who was once my best friend, um, almost considered like my little brother. Um, you know, when, when they caught air of my, both of my parents being medically ill, Shama offered her house um, in replacement because it was only a mile away from the school and I could have easy access to and from from the school. And so I, uh, I went, you know, and, and lived there for several months, almost a year. And um, yeah, that, that decision of moving into that house um, completely altered my life forever. So Jonathan was like a little brother to you, which is, I mean, you've heard you say it in multiple interviews. And right. um, when, when the accusation was first made, I'm, I'm sure there's so much that's going through your head. Like, obviously, this is a mistake. This is going to pass, no problem. But did either of you, Gabriel, Greg, did you guys say, no, this, is pro- this probably did happen, but it's Jonathan or it could, it's somebody else. It's somebody in that home. Uh, yeah, at first, I don't think we wanted to point the finger at anybody, but we definitely brought up Jonathan many times to Greg's lawyer at the time. Um, he definitely had some red flags that popped up and we brought him up. Um, but again, we didn't want to point the finger directly at anybody until we saw evidence, until there was an actual investigation. And the, the similarities between you two are overwhelming, especially, you know, the victims in this case are were the two, two kids under five or six years old from what I remember. Correct, yeah. So you are now walking through this horrific nightmare and a lawyer is presented to you. Unbeknownst to you, this lawyer has t- strong, strong, strong ties to the McCarty family. Um, but that wasn't something you were aware of at the time from what I understand. That's correct, yeah. I had no idea that she previously represented all of Jonathan's brothers and multiple different aggravated uh, criminal cases, both sexually and um, just aggravated robbery, aggravated assault, all that. And so I had no prior knowledge of this. Um, I had no idea why Shamo was recommending Patricia um, initially. I just think that, you know, not living a life where I needed an attorney made me completely naive to the fact that I, I thought attorneys were all the same. I thought you just need to go re- get represented and then the investigation was just going to sort everything out. Um, that wasn't the case here. So, yeah, I mean, clearly you could see in the documentary that Patricia Cummings clearly um, made herself and proven to herself to be ineffective. And, you know, while this is not germane to your case, it is in a way that, you know, I, I stopped right there and thought how how did the McCarty household have a daycare with minors where there were four boys that all had some type of record, some of it involving child pornography and some other things. So that right there, I was like seething as a mom myself, you know, parents that drop off their kids every day, you're thinking somebody's looking into this and this could never happen, but certainly it it was the case. And then your attorney assigned to you, um, it seems from what we're discovering that her alliance was was really her 
her intent was to protect the McCarty family. So here you you were a young kid, an incredible kid, a dream kid for any mother. Gabriel, your mother must have been like, my prayers were answered with this fabulous boy for my daughter. Um, here you are charged with the most horrific possible crime on earth. What, like, Greg, how do you define that moment? How do you explain the moment when you realize this is becoming real and I'm not just getting out of this? You know, that's super tough. I think that's a question that um, is not really asked to you unless you actually went through it. You know, you just can't pull somebody off the street and just say, hey, can you prepare at 18 years old to be falsely accused and labeled something that you're completely not, um, especially a child molester? That right there just holds a depth that I believe that nobody should ever experience that nightmare. So when that accusation got put on me, I had no idea how to take it because at first I thought it was a joke. I thought it was like, man, this is a very bad joke. And it didn't turn out to be that way. It turned out to be that there was no investigation, that detectives put a target on my back. They didn't want to do an investigation. An attorney did not want to properly defend me. So I think I was pretty much a sitting duck where I was being accused of something and the law could literally just have its way in my life. And when, when that accusation came, the only thing I, I, I thought of doing at that time was to tell my family and ask my family for help during this and also her dad, um, Gabriel's dad, you know, he, he's proven to be a very upright man here in Leander and I just needed to talk to another man about this and just let them, let them know what I'm going through because I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's happening for me next. Um, the, I think at that time, the, the greatest fear that I had was that this was going to come out into the news and because they weren't trying to find the truth. They were literally continuing to label me and pursue me. And the detective was continuing trying to target me. And so the last thing I wanted was to, for me to be in the news for something that I'm not. And that's exactly what happened a few short days later was the headline was the under high school football player, Greg Kelly charged with aggravated sexual assault of a child that broke me. Cause once that's out there, it, it's out there and it sticks in people's so hands. And Gabriel, your family, um, you never left Greg's side. Your parents never left Greg's side. What was this like for you? I mean, it was devastating when the accusations came out. I feel like at first we thought, you know, we're going to figure this out. They are going to get the right person. We had so much faith in our lawyer at the time. And uh, we just thought that everything would fall into place. So um, obviously the news was extremely devastating and, um, you know, we had to face everyone at school. Greg was taken out of school and I was kind of by myself where I remember my first day of school, I was terrified because I didn't know what everyone around me was going to say or do, or if I was going to be bullied or, um, but I just, you know, I stuck by his side and I, I knew what was right and I knew what the truth was and um, I knew we were going to get through this, but it, it was, it was hard and I would never want to experience that again. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Well, and I think what's so unbelievable about your case and Greg, you, you, you mentioned this, it's like you just have faith that your lawyer is going to do the best thing for you. You didn't commit the crime. So there's actually no evidence of you committing a crime. Um, certainly 
community is going to support you. The judge is going to see this. I mean, it's, it's all going to go away, but it continued to just get worse and worse and worse. And it's a perfect storm of everything that can potentially, can potentially go wrong in the criminal justice system. The case lacked physical evidence. They relied heavily on testimony from a young boy. Um, there wasn't a real investigation coupled with an attorney who potentially breached fiduciary duty to, to a client. Um, it goes without saying you were wrongfully convicted. Our executive producer, Sydney, sent me a, a, statistics last, a statistic last night. University of Virginia law professor Brandon Garrett said 75% of wrongful convictions are due to faulty eyewitness memory. And they're, they're literally just putting everything on the statement of this young child, not to dismiss the statement of this young child at all. Those are, those are very important, but they, that's one part of the investigation. That's not the investigation from start to finish. Um, you were sentenced to 25 years. I mean, 25 years as this young boy. You went to prison. You were released on bond three years later. How did that happen that you got released? And then what was your hope at that time? Was that because the community had started to get involved? So it was a mixture of a lot of things. So when I got convicted and I got sent away, this was back in 2014, summer of 2014. Um, and then it was a long stretch. It was a long haul of just fighting this injustice, get, trying to get a hearing and getting denied multiple hearings during different circuit courts. And so while that was happening and behind the scenes, um, you know, there was a lot of people standing up and fighting for me. There were, there was literally an, I, I kind of consider it like an army of just soldiers being called from every which way of life to stand up for somebody they do not know. And, you know, a percentage of them were people that loved me very dearly. And then those people went out and told people, certain people about the, the case and the inconsistencies with it and all the things that it lacked. And they're like, oh man, this is not right. And then also it happening in Williamson County, a county that has been known in history for falsely and wrongfully convicting people. Um, and what's the scary part is, is that people actually get exonerated in Williamson County probably 30 years later. And that's, that was the scariest part. So I not only was a victim to the injustice of the criminal justice system, but I was also a victim to the virus that Williamson County continues to have when it comes to wrongfully convicting people. So it was a, I felt like there was a huge army that stood up for me. And to be completely honest, if that wasn't the case, I don't know where I would be right now. If, if those perfect strangers would, wouldn't have fought for me. And you were completely exonerated November 2019, um, found to be completely innocent of any wrongdoing. I found it interested in, in reading about your trial. It said the state's top sex offender expert concluded that you had no signs of being a child rapist or molester in any manner or form. Um, I want to talk about Jake Bryden and Keith Hampton in a minute and these angels, this community that, I mean, I was sobbing and I've never met you. I mean, I was literally unable to breathe at, at points. Um, there's this, you know, and, and it kind of leads to a different question. Like, is this, is there a movement behind you? Is there a purpose for the horrific tragedy that took place in your lives that people feel so drawn to you and so emotionally tied to you that maybe questions that, came out of your story can start moving the needle in other areas. But before I want to even go to those things, you were in prison for three years. You look like a big guy. I mean, are, look pretty big. <laughs> I mean, but you mentioned that prison was a scary place. What, what was it like? I mean, you were still a young kid too. What was it like for you being there? 
Um, it, it was a mixture of a lot of things. You know, I mean, depending on what perspective you choose to have on life, will kind of navigate how you explain prison, you know? So in one way, prison is very dangerous. It's very violent. You've got to watch your back every step of the way, every day that you're in there. Um, but one of the important parts of wrongfully convicting somebody, not just of any crime, but of a sexual crime involving a child, you're now labeled a child molester and pedophile. And so that's what I was labeled. And so going into prison at 18, 19 years old, being labeled that, the life expectancy of me was not years, it was days. So going through that situation, I had to defend myself in ways that um, I just thank God that I'm still here. You know, I'm here not mentally messed up. I'm here not physically messed up. Um, so it was completely scary as, as, a, as a kid. I had to grow up really fast. And I tell people sometimes, you know, I don't know what it feels like to be 19, 20, 21, 22. I had to jump from 18 to a grown man really fast. So, um, yeah, I mean, in one way, it was tough, you know, and I didn't want to let my family know what I was going through um, because I, their peace was way more important than my peace to me at that time. So going through that was so tough. But on the other hand of it, right, if, if you want to look at it as a, as a getting beauty out of ashes, is I met so many awesome guys in there that really just took me under their wing, showed me the ropes of prison, got me through that place. One of the guys, actually a few of the guys, I consider my spiritual fathers. They're guys that I really sat down with me and we cracked open the Bible. We read a word that was good, that, that, that settled my heart, you know, gave me peace in that, in that chaos. So um, in one way it was terrifying, but in the other way, it, it produced a faith that I think now, if it's me, if it's me and Gabriel, if it's my family, there's no affliction or no trials or challenges out there that we can't face and we can't crush. So, yeah, I mean, we, we use it as a measuring stick now. So, Gabri, again, I'm fighting back tears. I don't even know what you feel, even just hearing about, you know, Greg's days in prison, and, but then how his faith encouraged him and protected him while he was there. On the outside, you were working to rally an army, you know, to quote Greg, it's just these soldiers, um, Jake Bryden, did he find you? Did he reach out to you? How did that whole thing come to be? Yeah, Jake Bryden first, he called your brother, right? Yeah, actually, he called David, her, her yeah. father, who, because David, he's a, he's a leadership teacher here. And uh, here in Leander, and he's retired now, but Jake was one of his students and he saw David on the news crying. And he said, what's up with this Greg Kelly kid? I see him everywhere. And David's like, he's dating my daughter. He's a great guy. He's taken away. He's being taken away, falsely accused, wrongfully convicted. And Jake, I just don't know if there's anything we can do. And Jake, if you tell Jake that, this guy who's just straightforward, go-getter type of guy who likes to challenge everything, he's going to say, okay, if you're telling me he's innocent and you're saying there's nothing we can do, that's not the America I live in. So we're, I'm gonna, we're going to go out and challenge that. And Jake, of course, did the investigation. Grab his megaphone. Grab his <laughs> megaphone. He's known now for his megaphone that he used at the Leander High School parking lot for the first yeah. rally. It was pouring rain. And he yeah. Was, yeah, he got out so, there. Yeah, so that's kind of how we got to know Jake was this angel that came out of left field nowhere who was literally felt like he told me that his spirit grieved mm -hmm. for me. Couldn't sleep at night. Couldn't sleep. He's a hardworking construction owner type of guy. And he needed to, he literally told my mom, he's like, Miss Rosa, 
I'm calling you because I want to fight for your son. I just something in my heart that tells me I need to step out for him. And, um, you know, I got to go to work the next day. I can't sleep because I can't stop thinking about Greg. We got to do something about it. That's, that's the topic the guy Jake was. He's an angel, honestly. He's an angel. I feel like Gabriel, Gabriel's your other angel. Jake's your angel. Um, Keith Hampton, my God, unbelievable. Um, I know I'm, you mentioned your mom, and I, I have the vision of her when she was speaking in front of uh, city council there about the police chief. Sean Mannix, um, you are now have a lawsuit against Cedar Park. Um, you know, they did not verify your location the day of the arrest. They did not investigate other suspects, of course, namely Jonathan McCarty. Uh, you know, they falsified information about when the assault happened. They deleted emails about the case. I mean, it's unbelievable what you're, you're, you're the road that you're on now. New sus, the, the suspect in the case, Jonathan, has gone on, we believe, allegedly, according to Showtime, to outcry to have raped uh, a young girl. There is a lot of harm that took place because the proper person wasn't ultimately put behind bars. Um, and I feel like, Gabriel, you sort of commented in the in the docuseries, or at least it seemed, that you knew that it was Jonathan. I mean, it just seemed like you talked about the pajamas and a few other things. I mean, how did you, did you remain silent throughout or were you continually pushing, trying to push for some clarity? Yeah, I feel like once he was um, put actually into prison, there were so many things that actually came out that I was wish would have came out at trial, and it, it didn't. Um, the pajama pants, girls were coming forward. I mean, this was like a few years later um, about how Jonathan has had admit that he did it, um, that he went on to rape these other girls. It wasn't just one, it was multiple. Um, just one was on the documentary. Um, there's so many things that pointed to Jonathan, and there's actual physical proof that pointed to Jonathan. All we wanted to do was, you know, scream at the top of our lungs, this is what happened, like, get this in a courtroom. But of course, that takes time to reopen a case. It takes a lot of um, moving parts and angels literally come in to reopen this case. I know that uh, uh, Showtime spent a lot of time filming your story. Um, were there parts, the five-part docuseries, again, you have to see it, were there parts of the story that were left out of the docuseries? Like, is there more, um, more to the story than what we saw? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was real tough because the entertainment company, Batbridge Entertainment, um, signed a thing with Showtime to air it on their network. And Showtime originally was, was going to give them three episodes. And, and Pat, the director, said, hey, I got so much stuff. We're doing this in real time. We've been covering this almost three years. There's just so much going on in this case that you're going to want to see it. You got to see everything I have. So, of course, Showtime saw everything that Pat put on the table. And he says, okay, we can't give you more than five. We're gonna give you five. And so Pat was like, I need more than that. And of course they respectfully just said, hey, we can't do more than five. Pat was like, okay. So um, it was, yeah, it was tough because there were some things that were pretty um, essential there that wasn't necessarily put on the documentary, maybe just because there was a lot of moving parts. It was just trying to weed out what, what, what really needs to be shown to the audience. And um, one of them was, for, for instance, Jonathan McCarty's drug and rapes after I was wrongfully convicted. Um, he didn't just go and drug and rape one girl. He drug and raped four girls. And three of them were in different that counties that we, that we know of. I mean. Three of them were in different counties. So it didn't really affect him in the county that the original you know, assault that I went to pr prison for um, it didn't affect him because it wasn't in that county. So, and then the other counties dismissed those charges. 
Um, I don't know. We don't know the reasons behind that, but, um, but there was some other things too, when it came to legal stuff that I'm just drawing blanks from, I'll probably have them in my notes, but the Ranger, the, the Ranger I mean, the, the Texas Ranger, that was a, such a crazy battle with him because I thought he was going to be the guy that comes in and really just really saves the day. But it, it came to a point where at first I was like, man, this guy really wants to do the investigation that I'm, I'm really just begging for. Right. And, but at the same time, I don't know why it seems like in this case, the only thing that people wanted to do was assassinate my character. And then in a, in a way that, and it's, it's really sad that you try to assassinate my character to tie me to a crime I did not do. So now it's like, why are you doing this to me now? Like, you know that none of that stuff was true. I had to go out on a limb on my own time when I should not be obligated to do that to prove to you that I did not have adult friend finder. I was not a user of that website. When this Texas Ranger goes out and says for fact that I was, I don't know why I just don't understand it. It, it makes my blood boil. Um, just thinking about this guy who just is the, the most upright you know, law enforcement that Texas has. And he goes out and does that to me when I'm over here, just trying to fight for my life. And so um, just small things like that. I don't think we're, we're emphasized so much on the documentary, but all in all, the documentary to me is five stars. It's 10 out of 10. It's really hard to rewatch it as, as the person that went through it. Um, I completely have so much respect for everybody as far as, you know, the DA that reopened my case, Jake Bryden, Keith Hampton, um, even the investigators, uh, the private investigators, I have so much sympathy for the victims that still have not received justice. I, we want to stress that as, as you know, people that have received somewhat justice, um, there are things that I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life um, that are very Googleable. Uh, but at the same time, I, it completely breaks my heart that we did not find justice for the child. You know what I mean? Because that blood is on the city of Cedar Park's hands because a lot of people didn't actually understand and realize in the documentary that the Cedar Park city council had the information of my innocence to, since 2017. They did not want to do anything about it. We pleaded and we begged and we said, Hey, just look at the information in, in these court documents. But instead, the Cedar Park City Council wanted to only rely on what the chief was saying about my case. So they try to sweep it under the rug and, and ultimately they really hoped that I went back to prison so, so um, they couldn't have to face the accountability that we're now, we're now trying to seek from them. Well, local municipalities have such a role to be responsible for the people and not their counterparts that serve with them. I mean, you become the priority. These children that have been raped or molested become the priority, um, their colleagues um, in service. Um, you two are now married. And um, I, I'm only, I, I could talk to you for about six more hours, but I'm conscious of your time. We have only 30 minutes with you. You got, you two are now married again, sobbed at your wedding pictures. I mean, you don't know me, but I'm sobbing over here in Houston. Um, New York Post article, Gabriel, you said, um, I had no doubt in my mind. I knew the kind of person he was from the first day of my heart. I knew he didn't do this. You talked about standing by him. We all, we all saw it in the docuseries, your love for each other. Um, what is your mission now, Greg? Are you still 
hoping to play football? Has everything changed for you? What are your together? What are you guys? Um, what are what are the goals for you next? I think together we kind of have those um, rock song goals. They're not necessarily up in the air. We we're, we're married. We're newlywed. Um, we're just enjoying every bit, every second, every minute of that. Um, we're not taking any day for granted. Um, you know, the freedom that we both have now um, in comparison to what it really means to be not free. I guess we can go on now in life with complete joy and understanding that, hey, we might be going through some tough times, maybe some small tough times here and there, but nothing can ever amount to the suffering we went through for six years. And so now being a wedding, uh, being a married couple, we want to go and travel the world. We want to, you know, uh, just hopefully start a family here in the next couple of years when I'm done with college. Um, Gabri's a, a phenomenal hip hop, you know, director at a dance studio. She does a lot of other things too, but um, she's, a, she's a jack of all trades. It actually it very, it surprises me and amazes me how many things she can juggle at one time because I wish I could do that. Um, but she does so many great things in her life. She's very goal oriented. Um, so am I. So we're, we're striving, you know, continue to strive as a couple. And so, um, me personally, I'm at the university of Texas. Um, I'm a student there. I'm, I'm majoring in kinesiology. Um, I have very high hopes to play football again, either if that's for the university of Texas, unfortunately, um, I was put on hold maybe because of the pandemic to start football. Um, but we'll see. That's still up in the air. So we'll see what's going on with that. And all in all, if it's not the University of Texas, I'm a, I'm a, I want to play football somewhere. And right now, I'm very open to any schools that are, are willing to give me that opportunity to play football. Um, so that's up in the air. But for sure, uh, we want to start prison ministry after the pandemic. And I want to go back to prison in a way that gets to go and, and – um, go and just, you know, fill up my, my guys that fill me up, you know? Um, and I think that would be very inspiring to be able to go back and it'd be, do a lot for me as well. Um, yeah. I mean, I can go on and on. We just want to do a lot of cool things. Well, we are here in Houston supporting you. So many across this country love you. You were a superstar before you're a mega superstar. Now um, we hate what you went through, but the power that you guys have to change a lot uh, can't be overlooked. And we would love to work with you on um, the many initiatives that you have going on. We know that we'll see you on the football field one day soon, and hopefully in Houston, um, something at Crime Stoppers. So thank you guys so much for your time today and for being on The Balanced Voice. For everybody else watching, outcry, outcry, outcry. You will not be able to turn it off in between. So please don't start it at 10 p.m. like I did one night. It yeah. was incredible. Thank you guys so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Hi, guys. Thank you for sticking around for a few takeaways following our sit down with Greg and Gabriel Kelly. I was so moved by their story. I'm still so moved by them. Um, and I just have a few takeaways I want to share with you. The first that was really compelling to me was the position of young men in America and how easily they can be wrongly accused of something and wrongly convicted, how hard justice might be for some of these young men. The second is the position of the victim. There have been many victims that have come out of Greg Kelly's story and to date, not many of them have actually received justice. There are many victims across this country that actually do need justice. The third is the power of law enforcement and 
the absolute requirement that they get things right. And to me, they're no different than a surgeon or a pilot. Um, we require a lot. We expect a lot. Certainly, we support them on every front. Um, but again, the case in Leander just was an example of how critically important it is that law enforcement you know, does things to the best of their ability. Uh, power of community engagement. Jake Bryden, unbelievable. A community member who just wanted to stand up for Greg and truly move the needle. He will be on our podcast coming up. Um, we want you to submit questions for him. Any that you have, go to our Instagram page at the Balanced Voice Podcast and DM us with any of your questions. And then finally, the power to forgive. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly and Gabriel Kelly are examples of forgiveness. Greg recently posted, um, quote, the past is the, is the past and the future is limitless, um, end quote. And that's that's something that a man who's able to forgive says. And I want to congratulate Greg. Great things have happened for him. He was just named, just given a full scholarship to EMU, Eastern Michigan University, where he will play football. We're so proud of him. We're cheering him on, and we're looking forward to continuing to follow their story. We'll see you next time, guys. Thanks so much. If you missed anything from the show, check out the show notes at thebalancevoicepodcast.com. This episode was edited and mixed by the team at Real News PR. Our executive producer is Sydney Zyker. Our advising producer is Katie Myers. Our media and quality assurance director is Tanya Cruz. And finally, our creative design director is Elizabeth McChesney. To find out more information about Crime Stoppers of Houston or to get involved with our prevention programming, please visit us at crime-stoppers.org. You can find us on Instagram at The Balanced Voice Podcast, and you can find me online at The Run Your Report.